0: One of my clients was a former Rhodes Scholar. Now, I'm not probably going to get this exactly right, but basically it's somebody exceptional. So in each state of Australia, each year, one undergraduate student is chosen for their academic success, for their sporting prowess and for their contribution to the community. And then they're sent off, I think, to Oxford or Cambridge on a scholarship. So these are very, very special people. And I think, therefore, you can probably realise I was really nervous to meet this former Rhodes scholar, who by now was was an executive. And I actually had a headache for the whole of our first session because my thought process was, what on earth can I possibly have to offer for somebody who's clearly so outstanding? Yet, despite his clear intelligence, Bob, let's call him Bob, did actually need my help with his next career steps. Now, our sessions ended up being inspiring for me because I would say something to him and he would say something to me and we would jump, 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 jump. So I just found them so enjoyable. But they were also valuable to Bob, clearly. I guess what I'm saying is that even the most astute person, such as a Bob, can make big career mistakes. And I often hear it surface in their negative self-talk. What do I mean by negative self-talk? Where does it come from? And, of course, as you know with me, I'm always interested in what can you do about it? How can you overcome it? Welcome to Career Chinwags for the 21st Century. I'm a career practitioner who's worked with thousands of clients over the past 20 years, so I've had a lot of time to think about career stuff. Each fortnight, I pick up on an issue that takes my fancy some are very practical, such as episode eight, where I talk about 10 words or phrases that damage you both at work and in job interviews. Other episodes tend to cover more big picture topics, such as my recent podcast, where I encouraged anyone who ever has had to recruit somebody to see the world from the candidate side so that you don't miss out on excellent employees. In today's episode, I'm going to cover five common self-talk moments that can damage your career. Where does this negative self-talk come from? Sometimes it comes from a lack of knowledge. So there's a famous quote from Socrates and it goes like this. There is only one good, knowledge, and one evil, ignorance. And I find myself coming back to that time and time again where I work with clients who are wonderful but they just perhaps lack knowledge about how to manage their careers. So let's look at some following examples and these are real statements that clients have made to me over the years. So number one is when you hate your workplace but you think there's no other options. So this first quote was from a government employee and it goes like this, I'll never get the same money in the private sector as I do in government so I'm stuck in my current job. Now, generally, people in government roles in Australia who are up to about the $100,000 mark, they're paid far more than they'll ever get in the private sector. And sometimes this difference can be as high as 30%. At the exec level, by the way, it can go in the opposite direction. So senior executives in the private sector are generally paid a lot more than they will ever receive in government. But let's say you're one of these people who aren't at the exec level. Again, it's going to be no surprises to anybody who's listened to my podcast that I believe that staying in a job only because you're well paid is just so dangerous. So often it has a negative effect on both your future career prospects and on your relationships with family and friends. And again, as I always say, and on your own personal happiness. I can always remember working with employees from an oil refinery There were quite a few of them that I worked with, and they would tell me with a big smile on their face that they were paid 20% more than market rates and that they'd never get that money again. Their cheeriness and common sense meant that they easily picked up new roles, and then they just got on with their lives. I also had a chat with a young friend just before Christmas. He was an engineer, or he is an engineer, who's at the top level technically, but he's very happy to stay there, and he has no intention of moving into management. He said that the extra hours of leisure that he gained by not working at a more senior level meant that he had time to research wealth creation activities outside of work, and he reckons he's made much more money than he would have taking a higher role at work. So if the money situation really is important to you, that might be something worth investigating. So for those of you who are currently working in a government role What do you do if you hate your current job? I think you've got three choices. The first is accept your previous high levels of pay with gratitude. Move into the private sector and understand that you will almost certainly be paid less. Focus on intangible benefits, such as the greater job satisfaction you're probably going to have. Your second choice is to look to other sectors that may match your pay rate. Generally, local government, for example, offers the same salary premium as government and you'll probably find their culture is similar and that you'll be quite comfortable there. Your third choice is to improve your selling skills and of course I'm talking about resume, job search networking, LinkedIn and interview skills, so that you can easily pick up a role in another government department where you will maintain your high salary. In summary, It's always possible to move with the right skills and the right attitude. Negative self-talk number two relates to restricting your job options. So this is a very common quote. This is something I hear all the time from people. So let's go. I don't meet all of the key requirements of the role, so I'm not going to apply for that job. I used to say quite flippantly that job ads are written as if you have to be God to be able to do all of the tasks, and that if you are actually able to do all of the tasks, you'll be told you're overqualified. Women often are the worst culprits here, so if you are female, I think you really need to get some support from somebody who can help you be more objective about this. What we career specialists do, most of us will pluck the magic figure of 80 to 85% out of the air. And we use this to help clients to decide whether to apply for an advertised role. What we mean is that if you meet 80 to 85% or more of the essential elements of the role, you should throw your hat in the ring. It is, of course, as everything in life, it is a little bit more complicated than that. It does depend on three things. Firstly, it depends on the buoyancy of your job market. And the more buoyant your job market is, the lower that percentage can go to. So, for example, at the moment in in South Australia, the defence industry is finding it quite hard to find people with defence background because of the expanded defence jobs at the moment. And so they are more likely to be happy to accept people outside of defence. Secondly, again, I'm repeating myself, it depends on how well your written documentation highlights transferable skills. So a few years ago, in my husband's company, we advertised for somebody to sell gym memberships because he was running lots of gyms at the time. And I can remember reading a letter from a woman who worked in a clothing store, a retail assistant, and she didn't make her case. She could have made a case in her letter saying, if you think it's easy to sell in one of the hardest retail markets in the world in a time of economic difficulty and I still made my targets, then I will be able to transfer that skill across to you. She didn't do that, and if you don't do that, you force the reader to actually do that on your behalf. And many people aren't lateral-minded. Their instinctive response will be, she's selling in retail, what's that got to do with us? We're gyms. So you need to really have a powerful and persuasive way of communicating your transferable skills. And the third thing it depends on is how sensitive you are to rejection. I often ask my clients that exact question. And I'll say, look, some people, every no they get is a slice away at their own self-confidence and is therefore very dangerous. Other people have the hide of an elephant and they don't care if they get told no 50 times. So I think it's really important as well for you to take into account where you sit on that continuum about hide of an elephant versus fragile self-confidence. But in summary, I guess what I'm saying is reverse the normal 80-20 rule If you meet more than 80%, start applying for those roles. The second major reason for this very destructive self-talk comes from a lack of confidence and a lack of faith. And it tends to surface in the following situations. So the third situation is when you might miss out on up to a million dollars over your career. So here's the quote. I've never been very good at salary negotiation, so I don't do it. There are some truly frightening statistics that are quoted about the economic ramifications of poor salary negotiation. And again, women tend to score quite poorly here. So let's listen to some of them. Apparently, less than 7% of women negotiate. Secondly, executives who negotiate from their uni days can earn $500,000 over the course of their career more than those who don't. And thirdly, men who negotiated their initial salaries were able to raise them by an average of 7.4%. Now, whilst this issue is often important, in other words, the issue of missing out on money, I come at it from a different angle. Done properly, there's no downside to salary negotiation. If it works, you get paid the salary you deserve and you impress your future employer as somebody who has to be taken seriously. If they say no, at least you know that you have behaved bravely and with skill. You either take the job or else you decide to move on to another employer who will pay you more appropriately. But either way, you are a stronger person. And there's no downside to that. So in summary, do your homework on salary, prepare your pitch with skill, and then force yourself to start the negotiation. Are you going to go through your whole life never negotiating? And if the answer to that is no, then why not start now? fourth circumstance where this lack of confidence and faith comes out is when people play safe. So the quote here is, I don't have any experience in that industry, so what's the point in trying? Industry experience is a very funny thing. Many employers will ask for it, of course, and most recruiters here in Australia anyway, insist on it. More to the pity and more's the shame. Yet, I picked up work as a career specialist with no previous experience. When I train clients in job search networking, I always use my own example to highlight both how it works, but also how it can lead you to a wonderful new career. At the moment, I'm working with one of the most strategically determined people I can remember. She has no experience in the area that she's targeted, but she is not daunted. So what's she done? She's done three things. She started formal study in the specific technical area of the new industry. These days, by the way, many employers are accepting micro-credentials, so it's not as bad as it was in the old days where you had to wait till you finished a three-year undergraduate or a two-year master's. Second thing she's done is she's learned how to do correct job search networking. Now, by the way, I've got two podcasts on that. Some of my early podcasts, I think podcasts three and four, exactly specify how to do job search networking, so perhaps go and have a listen to that. Because if you do want to move into a new industry, this, of course, is it's not only your best method, but it's almost your only method. And the third thing she's done is she's reworked and refined her networking technique. So she constantly improves and fixes up errors. And the basic rule of job search networking is if you're not getting referrals from most of your meetings, you're making what I call a technical error. If that's the case, you should stop immediately. You should consult somebody and work out what the error is that you're making, because it does work. So in summary, there are tried and true techniques that do work if you want or need to reinvent yourself. And the final error is dropping Plan A far too early. So here's the quote. The job's interstate and I don't really like it, but there are no jobs here. Whether you are impatient to leave your current role or whether you've lost your job and want a new one as soon as possible, of course it makes sense to have a plan B. But it doesn't make sense to move to plan B before you have properly explored plan A. Why let go of your dream before you give it a real chance? Why settle for second best if you don't have to? In summary, establish your dream construct a strong career marketing toolkit, put your plan into action and have faith. Knowledge is power and confidence is all. I think we've all heard those platitudes so many times. What do you want to read on your gravestone? You're at work for eight hours a day. Why not be happy there? But these statements are common for a reason because careers are important. Luckily, it's surprisingly easy to overcome negative self-talk when it comes from ignorance or self-doubt. If you need to overcome knowledge gaps, Google provides you with endless expert advice at your fingertips. And if it's an issue of confidence, you must know at least one person who's really good at boosting the confidence. Don't let these two issues damage your career happiness. Even Aristotle understood it all those centuries ago, and I love his quote. Pleasure in the job puts perfection in the work. Thanks for listening to this podcast. If you like what you've heard, I'd love it if you could share the podcast or leave a review. At this stage, I'm doing a podcast every fortnight, and next episode, I'm going to talk about how to convince a future employer that you are a resilient leader, because these are the two buzzwords of the century, resilience and leadership. And you need to be able to show that you have both if you want a senior role these days. Remember, if you want to review what we've talked about, check out the full show notes at careerconsult.com.au. There you'll find an article, perhaps an infographic or a video that summarise what I've been talking about. And there'll be links to any tools or resources that I might have mentioned. I'll repeat that: careerconsult.com. And I do a mail out religiously once a fortnight. It might be a video, a blog or an infographic. If you're interested, you'll find a sign-up form on the website. Let's finish with the hashtag, hashtag why not be happy at work.